You keep your Bibles open there to Matthew 26, and we're going to look back at Exodus 12. So if you want to find Exodus 12, we're going to read uh, some passages from that chapter as well. A new meal with a new meaning. So we usually um, we usually practice or observe the Lord's Supper communion on the fifth Sunday of each month uh, of the five Sunday months. And so, but since I'm here today, as we're working our way through Matthew's gospel, as since we're here at this text, we. Uh, we're going to observe communion today rather than in, in, the, in a couple of weeks. A new meal with a new meaning. So let's just pause for a minute as we do and ask once again for the Lord to help us today. Father, we, we're looking at uh, a text of Scripture that is instructing us about a very sacred ceremony given by our Savior that teaches us about our Savior. And in a few moments from now, we will actually practice that meal together that was first instituted and established by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ when he was here on this earth. For 2,000 years, your people have gathered in gatherings that look a lot like this one and in gatherings that look nothing like this one. Some places, your people have gathered in great, large cathedrals. Some places, your people have secretly hidden in the forest in really small numbers to have this meal together. It is a precious visual picture of the faith that we cherish that is absolutely our life and salvation. And so it it means the world to us who believe. And if we are not of the faith today, our prayer is that in seeing where this meal came about and why this meal came about and what it means, that you would open hearts and you would open eyes to prize and treasure and love the Lord Jesus Christ for the great treasure and prize that he is. And so, Father, we just ask that you would do something wonderful today as we, as we study together, as we observe together the precious body and blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Accomplish your will in our hearts, mine included, Lord. May we willingly, humbly, joyfully, gratefully submit to you. Receive your word, receive your Savior, and receive life and hope and peace and eternal joy. So, Father, we we look to you right now. We look to you 
And we give you glory and praise for what you accomplish. In the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. So you've heard the text read. And um, to, to, to really understand what's happening here, what, what the disciples are about doing with Christ and how Christ introduces, goes from a, a Passover commemorative meal into a brand new meal to see that transition, we really have to stop and go back and get the background to understand uh, what the transition and the significance of today's text. So, so let's do that right now. Let's turn back to Exodus 12. And I'm going to read a, a few sections of this chapter. But when, you, when you're in the book of Exodus and you reach chapter 12, uh, what's happened so far, God has called Moses to be his spokesman to go to the land of Egypt and to tell Pharaoh to let God's people go. For 430 years, the Israelites have been enslaved in Egypt, and God means to deliver them. And so far in the book of Exodus, as you read, there have already been nine plagues. So each time Pharaoh would say, no, the Israelites are mine. They're my slaves. They're my people. God would send a plague... And each plague that God sent into the land of Egypt was, was designed to demonstrate God's sovereignty over specific false gods in Egypt. Each plague was also designed to show God's sovereignty and his might and his power. That he is the one true God. Each plague was designed to designate and, and to, to clearly show that Israel belongs to God, not Egypt. Israel is his people, his possession, not Pharaoh's. That Israel is, is meant to serve the Lord, not to serve Pharaoh. But Pharaoh's heart proves resistant. Pharaoh's heart proves hardened against the Lord so do the people of Egypt. And so in chapter 11, the 10th plague is described to Pharaoh. And this will be the final one. And so now we pick up here in Exodus chapter 12. And I want to read uh, the first, uh, follow along with me. I'm going to read the first 13 verses. The Lord said to Moses and, and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. So this is your January. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons. According to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. 
And then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire. With unleavened bread and bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted. Its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night. And I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. You say, well, what about all the innocent people and children of Egypt? Well, Exodus has made it clear thus far there are no innocent people and children in Egypt. Remember by this point, God has sufficiently and graciously proven his will and his authority and his sovereignty graciously so nine times god doesn't have to prove it one time to show it nine times is rather gracious even in the sending of judgment and egypt refuses to believe and refuses to submit Look down with me in verse 21, Exodus 12, verse 21. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. And you shall observe this right. So what are the disciples and Jesus doing? Here it is. You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and your sons forever. And when you come into the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, here's children's ministry, when your children say to you, parents, what, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. 
Then the people of Israel went and did so, as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. Every part of this story, every part of Exodus 12, the teaching, the instruction for the night of Passover, the actual night of Passover, and the instruction to keep Passover, to never forget what God has just done, every part of this story pictures God's promised plan to save his people from slavery to sin and to lead them into the eternal promised land. So turn with me back over to Matthew 26 now. So that's the background of what's going on with this special meal that the disciples and the Lord are having together. And it's going to explain a lot of this transition into this new meal. But the first thing I want, to, I want us to notice, as you heard read, the first thing is a startling revelation during the Passover meal. A startling revelation. Now, we've already seen, Matthew has already given us a heads up. We looked at it last time, right? In, in verses 14 through 16, Matthew has told us as readers, he's revealed to us Judas's devious plot. So we, as the readers, we know the identity of the betrayer when we come to this event, but the disciples are not yet aware. In real time, they still don't know what's going on and the identity of the betrayer. And Jesus lands in the middle of this Passover feast commemorating God delivering his people from Egypt. Jesus lands this bombshell. And he says, one of you is going to betray me. And the disciples begin to question, is it I, Lord? I mean, imagine, you're you're sitting in a room, there are 12 disciples and the Lord Jesus Christ, there are 13 people in the room, and you know that he is God. You know that he is Savior and that he knows all things. You, You already know that from all the events that have taken place. And he says, one of you in this room is going to betray me. Imagine being one of those disciples desperately, desperately hoping against hope that surely it's not me. Surely I could never stoop to such a level. And Jesus says, he who dips his hand in the dish with me. In other words, he's drawing the, the, the atmosphere to say it's it's someone i've invited and welcomed to my table someone close to me one of you in john's account of this meal with the disciples in john's account in his gospel he says that when when jesus dips the morsel of bread in in the basin he then hands it to judas so what you see taking place in here is Jesus, Jesus narrows the scope, right, to 12. He says, one of you is going to betray me. And then he narrows the scope further. And he hands a morsel of bread to Judas. The sense here is that Jesus has given Judas every opportunity. 
When Judas hears Jesus say, one of you 12 is going to betray me, he, he, knows, he knows the gig is up, right? He knows Jesus knows. He knows it's him. When Jesus dips the morsel of bread in the basin and hands it to Jesus after what he's just said, Judas knows and he won't repent. He just won't repent. And Jesus says it would have been better for him to never been born if he just simply won't repent. Every opportunity, Judas secretly knows but he's wanting to keep a front, doesn't he? He, he, wants to, he wants to keep the rest of the disciples guessing. He doesn't want to spill the beans. So he, he goes along with the questioning and he says, Is it I, Rabbi? Interesting, isn't it, that, that all the other disciples called him Lord. And Judas took a step back and just called him teacher. In John's account, he says that, that it... At that moment when Jesus had given him that morsel and it was clear Judas is not going to repent, he's not going to turn away from where he's at, the Scripture says at that point Satan entered him. Satan just took over. And that's what Satan will do to all of us that just continue to not repent and turn to the Lord. He, he finally just takes over. And Jesus looks at him and says, what you're going to do, go do. And Judas gets up and leaves. Now the disciples are, the disciples are trying to uh, figure out, why is Judas leaving? And they say, well, you know, Judas keeps the money back, so maybe he's going to get something. Maybe he's preparing something for the Lord. The disciples remain confused. They don't they still haven't identified the betrayer. But here's the point. Jesus knows exactly who's with him and who's against him. And Judas knows exactly where he stands with the Lord. And if we will be honest before the Lord, we know exactly where we stand with the Lord. And so does the Lord. The tragic lesson of Judas for all of us is this. If Jesus is not Lord of all our heart, Jesus is not Lord at all of our heart. Whatever that thing is that you cling to, for Judas it seems to be greed, fortune. Whatever that thing is that you cling to, that thing will eventually take you from Christ unless you give it to Christ, unless you let go of that thing that you cling to and cling to Christ, you'll never find the life and fullness and salvation that he offers. So that's the first thing, this, this startling revelation during this significant, rich meal of the Passover. But then the second thing I want us to see together is looking at this, this text of the Lord instituting the Lord's Supper. How the Passover leads to the Lord's Supper. And so when they, they're coming to kind of the end of this meal together, this transaction has already happened with Judas, Jesus introduces a brand new meal. 
This has, this has not been done before. This has not been practiced. This was not part of the Exodus 12 instructions. Jesus is introducing something new to close out this Passover feast. And in doing so, Jesus is showing how the Passover meal was anticipating this new meal. How it was always pointing to this. It was always leading and looking forward to what we now call the Lord's Supper. Passover was always looking ahead to Christ. Christ is the fulfillment of the Passover. And so Passover, in in celebrating Passover, you you would look back at what God had done in delivering the Israelites from Egyptian slavery, but you were also looking forward to what God would do to deliver his people from slavery to sin. And now that Christ has come, now that that promise has come, that deliverer is here to deliver God's people, that old sacrament, that old feast, that old celebration passes away and is replaced with a new sacrament, a new feast, a new celebration, a new remembrance. So we no longer celebrate Passover as God's people. We no longer set aside seven days as a Passover celebration because the culmination of Passover has come. What we do now as the gathered people of God, we celebrate the culmination. We celebrate Christ. And so this is what Jesus is teaching us, what this meal is about. What does it mean? What is it for? And the first thing we see here is that Jesus' body is the Passover lamb. In verse 26, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples. Notice what's happening here. Jesus is giving thanks for this bread. He is breaking this bread. He's distributing it to the disciples, to his people. And he says, take, eat, this is my body. In other words, this this broken, blessed, distributed bread is telling us something very significant, is portraying, is visualizing for us something about the body of Christ. And that's what takes place as we continue to practice this meal. Jesus is the final Passover lamb. So just as the lamb in Exodus was to be a male without blemish, so Jesus was the man without sin. Just as the lamb in Exodus was to be totally consumed, none of it left over, none of it remaining, Jesus is to be totally embraced totally taken, totally received. And that's why Jesus would would say things like, if you would follow me, uh, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Just as the lamb in Exodus was to be slain as a sacrificial substitute, 
So John the Baptist says of Jesus in John chapter 1, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is the Lamb that all those other lambs were picturing, pointing to. This was the final Passover Lamb. The Lamb in Exodus was slain so that everyone within that home would live. Jesus was slain so that everyone in him would live and escape the judgment to come. So Jesus' body is the Passover lamb. The next thing we see is Jesus' blood is the Passover blood in verses 27 and 28. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many, for the forgiveness of of sins. Jesus' blood is the Passover blood. Just as the blood of the lamb in Exodus was applied to the doorpost and the lintel, and this saved the inhabitants of the home from judgment, so Jesus' shed blood is applied to our lives when we trust in him by faith, so we then are saved from judgment. You see, God didn't pass over the Israelites because they were good and the Egyptians were evil. Let me say that again in case you missed that. God didn't pass over the homes of the Israelites because they were so good and Egypt was so evil. They were all sinners. None of them deserved deliverance from judgment. None of them deserved anything. What God did was was give them by grace a sacrificial substitute and means that if they would believe in him and trust in him and do what he tells them to do, that they would be delivered. They would be saved. They would be rescued. You see, the broken body of Jesus pays for our sin, and his shed blood washes it away. Now, this is why this new meal is such a better meal. That's, that's the, really the theme of the book of Hebrews, isn't it? Hebrews looks back at the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, the old priesthood, and then it looks at Christ, how all of those things pointed to Christ, and, and Hebrews just keeps saying It's better. Christ is better. The new covenant is better. And here's why. Here's why. Read with me again in verse 28. Jesus says, "This this is my blood of the covenant, the relationship God is establishing with his people. My blood is poured out for many, for many. For what? Here it is. The forgiveness of sins, the removal, the cleansing, the washing away. That in Jesus Christ, we stand the unrighteous, that's me and you, we stand righteous before God. So it's even, it's even further than just a Passover, right? It, it, it's a passing through. He, he, he goes through our lives, through our hearts. 
and makes us a new creation, justified before God, reconciled to the Father. Sins removed from our record. Jesus' blood, the final Passover blood. But then here's something in verse 29 that we need to see, and that's Jesus' promise is the Passover promise. In verse 29, Jesus says, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day. So now Jesus, he's just started something new, right? He's just instituted something for his people to always do to remember him. And as soon as he does that, he starts looking to the future, telling us to look to the future. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day. Here comes the promise. When I drink it new with you. Hear that. Jesus is getting ready to go die on the cross and to be buried. And he's telling his disciples and he's telling us. He's issuing a grand promise that's full of all the hope in the world. Enough hope to get you through this life. There's enough hope in verse 29 to carry you through whatever you face in this life. However tragic, however harsh, however evil, the hope that is packed into these few words means absolutely everything for this life. Because Jesus promises I'm not going to have this meal again until that day. There's a day coming then when I will drink it again new and you're going to be with me. I'm going to drink it with you. So I'm leaving. In just a few hours, I'm leaving. But I'm coming again. And I'm bringing you with me. Now, where are we all going? Where's Jesus taking us? Where are we going to have this final great celebration feast together? Here it is. In my Father's kingdom. You say, Pastor, what, what, does, what, what, what does this mean? These little cups we're going to get ready to look at. And, and this little wafer in there, you say, is the body of Jesus broken for us. And that juice we drink, that's the blood of Jesus shed for us. What does all that mean? This. That if you are in Christ then his body has been broken to pay for your sin. His blood has been shed to wash it away. And he is going to share this meal with you. With you. In the kingdom. That's where we're going. That's where salvation culminates. I'm going to come and bring you with me. We're going to share this meal. He, he, he shares it with us the first time, and then he shares it with us the last time in the kingdom. In the kingdom. So just as the Passover looked back, right? It looked back at God delivering his people from Egypt. It also looked forward 
because God was going to deliver his people from sin. So does the Lord's Supper. It looks back. It looks back. We, we look back today when we have this meal together. We're looking back at what Christ has done for us. And he's done everything for us. We look back at Christ willingly sacrificing, laying down his life that we might be forgiven, that we might have eternal rest and joy and glory. So we look back, but we're also looking forward, aren't we? We're looking forward when we have this meal. It's telling us there's a, there's a final meal coming. There's coming a time when, when there won't be another fifth Sunday communion. There'll be a final communion. Can you imagine what joy there will be one day when we eat this bread and drink this cup and Jesus is literally with us? See, here we celebrate his spiritual presence. Jesus is here, by the way. Jesus is here in a very real, personal, awesome way, especially when we observe this meal together. That's why we have to get our hearts right. Before we go to this table, it is sacred. Jesus is here in a spiritually present and powerful way, but can you imagine the day that we eat of this meal in glory? You see, it's in glory when we're going to finally realize what it means when we say Jesus saved you. We, we, won't under really, we won't really get that. It won't really start sinking in until we are in the kingdom. And then when we say Jesus saved you, then we're going to know what that meant. Can you imagine drinking this cup, eating this bread, and Jesus is there? The one that the bread and the cup is all about. The bread and the cup, this person died for you to eternally save you and, and sharing that meal with the one who laid down his life. You see, when we drink this cup today, it is in hope. It is in hope that one day he will return and save us completely. When we drink it on that day, we will drink it because he has. He has. Today is a love feast. That's what the New Testament calls it, a love feast. God loved us so that he sent his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And we love him so for doing so. Today is a love feast, but it's fueled by faith. It's fueled by our faith in Christ and what God has done for us in his son. But there's coming a day when this love feast will be fueled by joy. Because today we look and we have faith in what Christ has done to save us and prepare for us an eternal joy. That day we will take of the bread and take of the cup because we are there. We're there. You know, when something uh, 
really remarkable and unbelievable happens, maybe we say things like this, I made it. You know, when you didn't expect it or you didn't know it'd be that great. Can you imagine gathering around the Lord Jesus knowing that the only way we made it to glory was because of that broken body and that shed blood and saying, we made it. It's a love feast. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we we glorify you. We praise you. We give you honor and worship today. Sometimes we forget that the most precious, meaningful thing in this life is the promise in Christ for the next one. We forget that. But when we stand by the grave, we remember that. And in a lot of ways, Lord, when we come to this meal, we're kind of standing by the grave. We're remembering the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. But because of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, when we stand by that grave, we are looking to a resurrection. We just simply can't put in words and and we simply can't be too thankful and too grateful for what this means for us, for life and for eternity. And so as we begin to come to this meal together, Lord, help us as believers to begin now preparing our hearts, celebrating Christ, asking forgiveness of sin, confessing and repenting of any sin in our lives and just humbly and joyfully being receptive to the Lord. And if we are apart from Christ, I pray that we have seen the beauty and the glory and the power of Christ to save us and that we would willingly, gladly, with repentance, turning from ourselves, turning from this world, turning from sin, give and surrender our lives to Christ as Lord and Savior. Whatever the work is, God, that you mean to do in our hearts and lives, May we not be like Judas and just keep turning from every opportunity. This is another opportunity that you've given us as unbeliever and believer alike. So help us, Lord, to draw near to you, knowing that you will draw near to us. And it's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen. You have been listening to the sermon ministry of Will Owens, pastor of Grassy Pond Baptist Church, Gaffley, South Carolina. Be sure to visit willowens.com to hear more sermons, read blogs, and learn more about the missions branch, P67 Missions. Again, thank you for listening to Will Owens.